everyone and welcome to the Pet Accountant Podcast with me, your host, Vicky Clark. I'm going to help you get to grips with your finances, save you lots of money and take the stress out of doing your tax return. So let's get going. Hello, hello, hello. Right. Hi, everyone. This is Lee, everybody. Lee uh, works Hi. with me um, and does, he's basically my payroll VAT and bookkeeping genius. Um, and anyone um, that basically comes through the pet accountant, uh, mostly if you want a payroll, you'll definitely go to Lee. Um, bookkeeping would be either one of us uh, and VAT again will most likely be Lee. So I just wanted to introduce you guys to him um, so that you know who he is, because I know there's probably lots of clients on here as well. So at least you can put a face to the name. So hello. 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 How are you hello. doing? I'm very good, thank you. Very good. Thanks for good, having me. Good, good. That's all right. No, it's like I pretty much forced you. So <laughs> <laughs> I pretty much said, please, Lee, please, uh, because I'm desperate. I need to need someone to come on. Uh, so what we're going to do, guys, is go through um, some questions I know you've asked in the past on the group about payroll, um, whether someone be, should be employed or self-employed, because that is one that comes up uh, on a regular basis. So hopefully we will cover a lot of those questions. If you do have uh, a question for either one of us, then feel free to uh, pop it in the comments um, and we'll try and answer them as best we can. Um, if they are very specific, it might be that we need to speak to you privately. Um, but yeah, if you can if you can try and keep them general uh, and not too tricky for Lee on his, on his first time on here. So <laughs> I don't want to put him on the spot and ask a really complicated payroll question. Um, so... I know I'm blabbering, but just before we carry on with the questions, I just want to say this is going to be uh, the first podcast uh, for Accounting for Pet Professionals. So, Lee, you are um, my first podcast for this group. So hopefully it goes well. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. You're like, please don't ask me anything complicated. Right. What I'll do is we'll crack on uh, with the first question and I'll just get that up on my screen. Right. So first question for you, Lee is what do people need to do if they want to set up payroll themselves? Okay, um, that's fairly straightforward in all honesty. Um, the first thing that you look at doing is registering as an employer via the HMRC website. Um, nice, simple process, uh, step by step. It does take you through a couple of the stages. Um, and then honestly, it can be done within about 15, 20 minutes from start to finish. Um, so, so not a complex area. Um, however, there is some other things to then consider. Once, once you've applied for that scheme, you're then going to need to look at arranging for a workplace pension as well. Um, as part of employment law, you have to offer your new employees access to a, um, a workplace pension and automatically enroll those that are qualifying for that scheme as well. So once, once you've done that, you'd then need to maybe consider looking at what sort of software you'd like to use. Now, that can be um, the HMRC PAYE basic tools. Or <laughs> have you got a dog in the background? <laughs> I have two at the moment and the doorbell's just gone. So um, I'm going to ignore it and hopefully they'll go away. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you can pick the softwares. Obviously, there are free ones on the market. There are ones that you pay for. And some softwares are considerably better than others as well, um, some notably so. Um, some of the free ones uh, will allow you to run the most basic of payrolls, 
but they won't necessarily have enough information within them to manage holiday allowance and sick pays and look at um, monitoring when the last person was sick and whether or not those periods are linked. So it really is something that should maybe pay a little bit of attention to when you're looking for running your own payroll. Okay. Um, once you've done that and you've got and you've chosen the right software, uh, you then need to do a little bit of research, probably around using the correct tax codes for setting that employee up on the system. Um, certainly, if they don't have a P45, you're going to need a new starter form, and there are a couple of different options on there that they can choose that's that's suitable for them. And each option they choose has a different impact on the tax code that you should use. Using the wrong tax code at that stage would most likely mean that they're either going to overpay tax or underpay tax. So it's, it's really important that that's done right at that stage. Um, generally speaking, uh, setting them up uh, and then going on to the, the, the salary or the hourly pay side of things, you do need to be careful with regards to the contract that you have in place with the employee, whether or not they're salaried or whether they're actually hourly paid. Right. If, for argument's sake, you decided that you were going to pay them an hourly rate and then thought, well, okay, if they earn, say, £20,000 a year, you'll pay them in 12 equal instalments, that person's technically salaried and not necessarily hourly paid. So if your contract states that they're paid hourly, you need to make sure you pay them for the correct number of hours per month and not just one-twelfth of what their, their annual salary would be. It could mean that if you're paying somebody on the national minimum wage, because the months are sometimes have four weeks and others yeah. have five, in that, that month where there's a five-week month, they could technically be paid less than the national minimum wage. And therefore, you're breaking employment laws and there are some serious consequences when it comes to HMRC with that side of things. Um, running the payroll itself is 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 or relatively straightforward 90% of the time but then there are the <laughs> I mean, you've, you've, that, uh... you've lost you've lost me from, from about 10 minutes ago I'm not gonna lie <laughs> you're like, it's really, you're like this is guys this is why I don't do payroll you're like oh yeah it's really easy then when you need to do this this make sure this and I'm like oh my god that's why I don't do payroll so yeah there's there, there is lots to it and I think I think if you are going to decide to do it yourself um, you need to start looking at dates as well of when you need to report the dates. Have you got the right the right payroll dates set up? Mm. Uh, are you reporting on time? Are you paying HMRC on time? So, you know, there's, there's lots of legalities around it and there's lots of pitfalls where you could potentially go wrong. But yeah. with the right research, the right support is absolutely possible. Yeah, so when um, you said people need to sign up and make themselves an employer do they do that just through the hmrc website they do indeed yes so okay. that, that that can be done there's a link there um, and as long as you have all your your personal details like your, your personal utr number or if you're a limited company you'll need the director's details as well as the company utr number um and and the the, the hmrc's website will ask you a series of questions um, and ask you for that information to be able to, to sign up as an employer and like i said 15 20 minutes you you can do that side of it, but there's a lot more to it once you've done that side, such as the pensions and the software and yeah. the employee as well. So it, it can be quite time consuming after the initial application. 
So that um, those HMRC basic tools that I think a lot of people use, can you set up people's pensions through using that or not? Or do you need something completely separate? The basic tools isn't something that I've chosen to use personally. Um, right. I to go straight in with a, a software that's been specifically designed for payroll. So right. un, unlike some of the others, like the ones that are built into QuickBooks and Zero, which is you know common accounting softwares, mm. um, they are integrations that will integrate with some pension providers, but it really depends on the software you're using and the pension that you've chosen as well. Some allow it, right. some don't. It really is on an individual basis. I really think after you've gone through that, if I was sitting there thinking, I wonder if I should do that myself or pay someone to do it, I think I'd probably pay someone to do it because that sounded awfully complicated. And, you know, you don't want to get anyone's pay wrong. You don't want to set it up wrong because, as we both know, dealing with HMRC can be a bit of a ball ache. That's right. Um, And getting it wrong just starts a bit of a snowball effect. So it's kind of one of those, I don't know if you get this question where someone says, you know, can I do my self-assessment myself? Or, you know, can I do my limited company accounts myself? And it's one of those where you're sort of like, well, you can, but probably Uh, wouldn't advise it um, with with payroll. That's it. It's it's difficult to correct. And that's the problem because of the archaic way that HMRC deals with things they'll happily tell you that you've done it wrong, but then trying to correct your errors can be quite costly and time-consuming. Yeah, okay. So I hope that's helped, guys. So basically, in a nutshell, I mean, I would just get someone to do it. Uh, I'm not even being biased here. That's why I don't do payroll. I absolutely hate it. I've never had any inclination to do it. This is why I have you. Um, So anyone that gives me a payroll question, I just like, ask Lee. Um, because I just don't get involved because it's just it's it's a bit of a minefield for me I just oh it's not for me so I know um some people use QuickBooks for their payroll some people use free agent is there any out there that you would suggest if someone was using software wanted to get some software that was user friendly any suggestions for me on that that are better than others I guess yeah um the, the problem is it all comes down to price uh mm-hmm. and and the honest answer is I've used a Sage-based one previously. It was very good, very complicated to use. Um, and I, I I now use BrightPay for all of our payroll clients. Um, and the BrightPay is user-friendly, but it also has other benefits like the BrightPay Connect, which gives access to uh, the employee and the employer side has, can log in and all their pay slips is there, their P60s are there for the end of the year. Um, so there's 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 benefits of using it, but from a user friendly and support point of view, BrightPay is certainly one that I'd recommend. So anyone can just download that, I guess, and, and pay for that. They can, yes. Yeah. How much roughly is it, or does it depend on how many people you've got? It depends on the number of people that you've got. Um, right. I, I believe it starts from around £59 a year, but it, it goes up dramatically and quite quickly depending on the number of staff that you have. Okay, that's not too bad. 60 quid a year. I suppose if you've only got one or two staff, um, that's not bad, is it? So, no, it's ah. quite good. That's you do have to pay for extras on top then, such as the Bright Pays Connect, but as, as a starting point, it's it's fairly good. Yeah, cool. So if you're looking to do your own payroll, um, then maybe look at BrightPay. 
I know um, QuickBooks do it. I know Free Agent does it. I know Zero does it. But I think we're probably on the same lines here, Lee. That it's it's good, but it's not it's not brilliant, and it's not no. what the software's made for, is it? Really? No. That's it. Um, Ultimately, they're bookkeeping and accounting packages with a payroll module that's kind of been built on. Whereas this software is specifically designed for payroll, payroll. and managing absences and sickness and yeah. Okay, cool. Brilliant. Well, I hope that answered that question. Um, I mean, you lost me after a couple of minutes, so I'll just be like, I'll just get, I'll just get Lee to do it. Sorry, I ramble. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, it's absolutely fine. Um, so we chuckled at this question yesterday. Um, what are the benefits of using someone like me or you, uh, accountant slash bookkeeper, for payroll, and how much does it typically cost people if they were thinking about getting one of us to do it? Yeah, I mean, typically um, around, if you have up to three employees, it's around £20 a month, um, which represents good value when you consider the cost of the payroll, um, especially with what you get with the likes of us, with the, the employer's portal and the employee's portal. Um, as, a, as, a, as a minimum, you have to give an employee a, a, a pay slip every month. And depending on how you do that, uh, the old way of emailing it out to the employee, you have to password protect it, make sure it's gone to the right address. There's lots of legislation around the the, the, the data security now. Um, so this this payroll portal that you get is, is a great way. It's an app that downloads onto the employee's phone. They can access it 24 hours a day. Um, you can store your documents on there, like if you've got any um, policy procedures or health and safety documents that you need them to access. So it's kind of like a HR tool as well. It'll record right. absences, sicknesses. Um, but from the benefit of using us, for argument's sake, for, for running the payroll, is it's the expertise. I mean, yes, the software will do the calculations for us. But if the software goes down, we've got to manually do those calculations. And that's something that that if you are just familiar with software, that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do. Um, but there's other things as well. The, the, the software is very good if you know how to use it. But mm. then when you, the likes of maternity, paternity, um, sick pay, there's a lot of legislation around those areas that you have to really study and understand and, 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 and know the pitfalls of when they apply, when they don't apply. And you don't get that just by downloading some software and using it. So yeah. for that £20 a month, you're getting the knowledge of, of a qualified individual running that payroll. You know that it's going to be right. Your employee is going to get paid the right amount. You're not going to overpay or underpay. HMRC is then reported with the correct figures. And it's peace of mind, I suppose. But yeah. that, we'll be able to do it a little bit quicker because it's something that we do day in, day out. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and we charge, I mean, everyone, it's the same as like tax returns and things. All accountants, bookkeepers charge differently. Um, we charge £30 set up fee uh, to get everyone set up on the payroll and then £20 a month. So really, for the sake of 20 quid a month, to not have that hassle of, of having to set it up, make sure you put all the figures in. You know, if one of them goes sick or, you know, annual leave or yeah. you, you know you just think well actually I can just email someone and say you know highly so-and-so wants some annual leave or has gone on holiday for a week or has got pregnant or you know gone sick whatever then you can literally just go bloop done and it's all done for the sake of 20 quid which you know I would say is quite cheap probably um 
But yeah. I think one of the important things there as well is if that employee was to come to you and ask you a question with regards to their pay of how did you calculate it? Because I think it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Could you answer that question? <laughs> yeah. And if you could, what would you do? How? Where would you go? Yeah. People are like, <laughs> is, that, is that my phone ringing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's no, there's only so much you can delay before you have to tell them, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, I guess, with the tax returns as well. Anyone can sit and put some figures into the boxes but it's actually do you know what you're putting in the boxes and why and are you using all of those boxes correctly you know so yeah perfect brilliant I think that answered that really well so thank you for that right what's this what's the next one my throat you now I might do it in a different order just to you know <laughs> um right what do employers need to pay when they hire someone so this question comes up quite a bit I get regular emails saying, well, I've got someone who's, you know, self-employed um, and I want to maybe put them on PAY, but I, I want to know how much it costs. How much is it going to cost me? So if we say um, a typical employee on national minimum wage doing, you know, a normal amount of hours, um, what would I as an employer have to pay roughly? And obviously, guys, this is obviously going to differ depending on how many hours, how much you pay them every day, every month, every week, whatever. But we can give you sort of like a rough idea by giving you an example. Yeah. So like you touched there, every, even if you had a set of twins uh, and you <laughs> both of them, the likelihood is, is that they will pay different amounts because they've done different jobs up until this point. Um, so if, if we look at somebody that's on the new national minimum wage that started this month, um, if they're 23 years or older, that's £9.50 an hour. Assuming that they work 40 hours a week, um, over 52 weeks, they would have a monthly salary of £1,646.66. On top of that money, you, you'd obviously have to take tax and national insurance deductions off of them. Um, we would calculate that within within the payroll and let you know what you deduct off them. Um, but the cost to you is 164666. On top of that, you'd have to pay what's called national insurance contributions on behalf of the employer. So on that salary, you'd pay an additional £133.74 over to HMRC. However... And is that every year? That is every month. Or every month, okay. So... However, what we now have is there's an employer's allowance that we can claim. And as of April, that employer's allowance increased from 4000 to £5,000 yeah. per year. And as long as you're eligible for that, you can use that £5,000 to offset your employer's national insurance contributions. So in theory, there will be enough of that £5,000 to cover your national insurance contributions for that individual for the entire year. So... Right. Over, over the course of, of, of 12 months, uh, we'll just do this very, very quickly, turns 40, turns 52. So that person would earn £19,760 and you wouldn't have any additional things to pay on top of that because you're, we're claiming the employer's allowance to, to cover that for you. Right. If you exceeded that or you wasn't entitled to it, you basically pay... 15.05% on any earnings over uh, £758 per month of what that employee earns. So, so once that employee has earned £758 a month, 
you'll then start to pay 15.05% as an employer. Okay, brilliant. And when you said um, if you qualify, and tell me if this is going to be too tricky question to ask, okay. ask how, because I know this is what people would be thinking, how do you know if you qualify, who qualifies? Okay, so it, it all depends on your, uh, your PAYE bills, in all honesty. However, if you're just starting a payroll scheme, the likelihood is, is that you will only have one or two employees to begin with which will mean that you will qualify. There are some criteria that you must meet. That, that Those employees, or rather if you've just got one employee, it can't be a sole director. So if it is right. just a sole director, you wouldn't be entitled to that allowance. <laughs> if, <yeah>. Damn it. <laughs> if, if that employee is not a director and you only have one, you, you would be entitled to it. Right. If you have a director and an employee and the employee is paid over the secondary threshold, which is the £758 per month, then we can claim it for you. So again, this comes back to the knowledge at the front end of knowing what we can claim and whether it applies, whether it doesn't apply. Um, And for those of you that have multiple businesses and it's linked by a director, if one of the directors of those businesses claims that that employment insurance, the likelihood is those other businesses can't and they'd have to share that pot of £5,000 between those linked businesses because of the director owns multiple businesses. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that five grand, is that every year or is that just one five grand? It's every year, refreshes every April. Um, we've just, it was £4,000 previously, yeah. and it's just increased to 5000 now. Um, but it can only offset against the employer's national insurance contributions. So the employee will have their own national insurance contributions that will need deducted and paid over to HMRC. But the important thing to remember there is, is that you're not paying them any more than the agreed salary. It's just that you're making the deductions on behalf of HMRC and then paying them over by the 22nd of the, the following month after we've run the payroll. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Hopefully, um, this will i'm hoping that this will trigger some some questions later on from people who have thought about running payroll or are running payroll and may have not even known about that five grand or four grand what it was um so fingers crossed brilliant perfect right so next question for you then um how does holiday pay maternity pay and sickness pay work Again, okay. how much does that cost? <laughs> yeah, right. I know it's okay. quite a broad question. But... Is, yeah, um, and there's a couple of elements to this one as well. So <laughs> let's start with sickness. If you don't offer company sick pay, an individual will, if as long as they earn on average more than £120 a week, will be entitled to statutory sick pay. Unfortunately, statutory sick pay is no longer reclaimable from the government. So it's something that the the employer has to pay themselves. And a a typical amount of of, of SSP, where it's shortened to, is £96.35 per week. Now, if an an employee rings in sick and they followed your company sickness procedures, they've they've let you know, the first three days that they are sick, um, you don't have to pay anything. On the fourth day, they will then start to receive statutory sick pay. And the amount that they receive all depends on the number of days that they work. If they were sick for um, five days, the first three 
would not be paid. The following two days, they would get two-fifths of the £96.35. Right. If the individual worked one day a week, they'd have to call in sick for four weeks. The first three <laughs> would be the waiting days. On the fourth week, they would receive the full £96.35 because they only work one day a week. Yeah. And SSP is based on a week's wage, so they get £96.35. Right. Um, so that's how sick pay works. Maternity keep it simple. Holiday. Keep it simple. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so maternity is great. You do get reimbursed for it. So right. if you're a small employer, you are not only do you get reimbursed the amount that you have to pay the employee, but you also get a 3% bonus on top of that as well that we can reclaim to offset against okay. your, your payroll bill. Or if you are a business that doesn't have very much turnover and you'll struggle to pay it, we can claim the lump sum at the very front end of the maternity from HMRC on your behalf, and they'll give it to you as a, as a nice one lump sum up until the end of the tax year. We then, if it straddles two tax years, we'll redo the claim as we enter the second year for the remaining part of the maternity for you. And this, again, goes back to our very original uh, question of, do I do payroll myself? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of that. yeah, I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't. But yeah, no, perfect. And what was the last one? holiday pay so okay so holiday pay so every employee is entitled to holiday every employee is entitled to 5.6 weeks of holiday regardless of the number of days that they work now if that person works five days a week they would be entitled to 28 days holiday if that in person works one day a week they'd still only be entitled to 5.6 weeks but only one day each week for the, for that 5.6 weeks. So it doesn't matter whether they're hourly paid or salary paid, the holiday entitlement is accrued and paid exactly the same. Everybody's entitlement is the same on that one. Right. What, what I do get asked normally is that if somebody is salaried and you have to pay them a holiday, how does that work with their salary? So for argument's sake, if somebody's on £23,000 a year, they will receive um, the equivalent, the, their 5.6 weeks is worth... £2,476.92. They would still be paid one twelfth of their monthly salary every month, which is 191667, even though they've taken the holiday. We would display it slightly differently on their pay slip. So the total salary for the year is still 23000 It's just that they haven't worked for 5.6 weeks of that. Yeah. And, and that's over the entire year as well. So they will still continue to accrue holiday. And if they work five days a week, they accrue 2.33 days for every full month that they work. And they can take the holiday before they've accrued it. Uh, and if they leave and they've taken too much holiday, they will owe you that back. Um, or if they leave and they haven't taken all of their holiday, you'll need to pay that over to them. One of the pitfalls surrounding that is when it comes to the holiday itself where people try to top up their wages every month with unused holiday you can't do that it's illegal right. um so what hmrc says is that that person must take the holiday they can't be paid it to top their wages up uh, so that you keep that holiday amount down um, right. and, and that was that was rife within the hospitality sectors and and it's been frowned upon and, and is now 
something that you just simply can't do. The, the only time that you can pay holiday when it hasn't been taken is when that employee leaves the employment. Right. Okay. Brilliant. Some top tips there then. Fab. You're like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh god, I hate this. Like, oh no, information grabbed from here. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people do watch these back, which is really. That's why I like doing these lives because not everyone, you know, everyone's probably going to be at work still now, um, but they can watch it back and obviously at their leisure and and pick bits out, you know, because some of this information is, as you know, you go onto the government website. It's not easy to get, especially if you don't know what you're looking for. Yes. So that you know that's why I do these lives with various different people so that they can get the information easily and without all the the technical bits. Um, just as a side note, I should be in my new office today, and you're probably some people are thinking that's definitely not your new office; it's your living room, Vicky. Uh, again, because of the bloody dog, um, I was going to do this first live slash podcast from uh, my shiny new office, but the bloody dog's sick, so I'm back in the living room again. Um, right, what's the next one then? Um, right, is hiring an apprentice different process as if it was just like a, a normal employee? Because a lot of people at the minute are going down the apprentice route. I'm going down the apprentice route, fingers crossed. Um, I know a lot of dog grooming uh, businesses are looking to hire apprentices. So if they want to set an apprentice up, is it any different to what you've already said if it's an apprentice or is it exactly the same process? In terms of payroll, no. The, the process is the same um, as if it was another standard employee. There are some financial benefits of, of an apprentice, such as grants, um, and they, there's also the, the financial side of the, the, is the potential of paying them at a lower rate compared it's to... £4.81, isn't it? Uh, it is indeed, yes. Yeah. So as of, as of today, that's increased to £4.81. But there is some criteria that that apprentice must meet in order for you to be able to access that level of, of payment. So first off, they have to be on a qualifying course at either a college or with a training provider. They have to be doing between 30 to 40 hours a week where 20% of that time is, is dedicated to study. Um, yeah. That is usually like the day at the college. Um, in their first year, it will be £4.81. But if that person's over the age of 19, in their second year on the anniversary of, of, of their starting of their apprenticeship into the second year, that would then move to the national minimum wage for the, the age group that they are in. And for a 19-year-old, that would be £6.83. Um, so depending on the age of the apprentice, when you take them on, you might have one year at £4.81 before then it starts to, to, to climb up. But in, yeah. in terms of the payroll side for processing, um, it's, it's very much the same as another employee. Um, one of the things to bear in mind is that you could be taking on a young, vulnerable adult and so there is a greater duty of care to the employer to ensure that the, the work is right. You've, you've got in place all your health and safety, the training, yeah. there, and there's a greater deal of monitoring to make sure that, that person is safe and secure whilst they're at work. Yeah, so you can pay them more than £4.81, though, Absolutely. can't you, if you, if you want to? Yes. Um, that, I mean, that I guess that is the benefit of getting an apprentice, isn't it? You're not paying them 9, 10, 11, 12 quid an hour. You're paying yeah. them £4.81, which, you know, you can't go wrong with that, really. <laughs> um, you know, so if you're looking at an apprentice, there you go. It's exactly the same process. Um, the grant, there was a grant that you'd get some money if you hired an apprentice. That's ended now, isn't it? 
Um, I know you can get, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this is what the lady at the, the college told me, if they're between 16 and 19, you still get, is it a grant from the government? The if they're an apprentice? change constantly, so it's, mm. it's really worth, it. rather than finding the grant and then finding the apprentice, it's, it's better to find out if you can find the right person to start with and then find out what grants are available for them. Um, because these these do change on on mm. almost every couple of months. There's yeah. scheme being run to to encourage the young people into work. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. I'll find one in September. Um, <laughs> bless them. <laughs> yeah, I'll be I'll be bringing them on here next, and they'll be like, no. <laughs> um, right. So we're rattling through these. I'm just keeping an eye on. If I keep looking, it's just because I'm I've got it on my phone, just so I can make sure there's not any comments. Uh, right. So penultimate one then. Um, right. So this is one that I get all the time, and it's it's discussed quite regularly on all of the different groups that I'm in. What should people look out for when they're taking someone that's self-employed? So there's there's always that thing where people are telling people that they're self-employed you know and it happens I think more in the, in the grooming world um there's lots of adverts going I'm looking for a self-employed groomer but you must work nine to five Monday to Friday wear my uniform groom my dogs do as you're told you can't go off and it's kind of like well that that's not self-employed and I've spoke to quite a few people who've fallen into that trap of taking a job that's self-employed but technically they're employed because they're being told what to do. So from, from you, from your experience, if someone's to say to you, well, what's the difference and what do I need to, or what can't I do, I guess, if you put it a different way, with a self-employed person that I can do with an employed person? I probably asked about four questions in one there, That's but you know what I mean. Right? You, know, you know what I mean. Yeah, so... The, the, the importance here is with regards to the wording of the contract. First of all, the you've got a contract of service, which is for an employee. Um, that usually has no end date with a job description, but the job description can be quite varied for the type of things that you'd like that employee to do. Um, the self-employed person would have a contract of services and they usually have an end date to those. It could be at the end of a project date. It might just be for a period of two years before it's reviewed. Um, and they are very job specific of what you require that self-employed person to do. Um, an employee needs a contract, whereas a subcontractor may need a subcontractor agreement. And right. you need to make clear within that agreement that they are responsible for their own tax and national insurance payments. So the type of things that I tell my clients to ask is, you know, if they are a subcontractor, do they wear your uniform? Um, do they use your tools of the trade? Do your customers think that they are your business? Um, are they portraying, you know, that, that they that they work for you? Um, do, do you dictate the hours that they work to them? Uh, you know, do you dictate how the work should be done? Um, the, the one main thing is, can they send someone else to do the work if they couldn't turn up on that day? And I think that's where a lot of the dog groomers may fall down slightly because if they don't have somebody that's qualified to do that work, then the answer is no, they can't. Um, one of the things is also relevant is do they work for other people within the same yeah. industry? And if you're their only client, 
well, then you need to ask yourself is, do this person sound like they work for themselves? And, and mm. if you answered a lot of those questions of, no, I, I tend to tell them what to do, what to wear, when to do it and how to do it, then they may be a disguised employee. Um, and, and that's quite important, that terminology, because if they are a disguised employee, you could be liable for all the back taxes that you should have been taken from them and they should yeah. have been put through the payroll. Now, HMRC does have a tool on their website that you can use to check whether or not that person would fall into the self-employed bracket or the employed bracket. But I need to stress it, it is just a guide and ultimately yeah. you're still responsible for for making sure that it is genuine that they are self-employed and and you can find that and it's called the check employment status for tax tool um but i'll put the link on the group yeah that would be a good idea yeah Um, the link on the group so yeah self-employment is great because you don't have all the worries of sickness holidays but the downside is if you are acting illegally and that person should be an employee there are some financial risks and, and obviously heavy penalties and fines as well from, from HMRC's side. And unfortunately, there is a lot of people out there that, that do do it. They they want an employee, but they don't want the faff of payroll and paying them, you know, sick pay, maternity pay, whatever. And then they, they disguise it. To, oh, well, you are self-employed, but, you know, actually, I want to tell you what to do Monday to Friday. Um, you know, I, I like you always say, do they work for someone else, you know, if they decide not to come in, then they don't have to come in because it, they're self-employed. So it's it, there is a very fine line between the two and you've got to really make sure that you get it right. Because like you said, if HMRC find out, then you get, you know, backdated and that's going to yeah. be a hefty, hefty payment. So just make sure whether you are an employer looking for self-employed individuals, would you give them, would you do a, a contract for if you took someone on self-employed, say you're um, a dog walker and you wanted to employ someone, well, not employ them, but take them on self-employed to do the odd dog walk, would you write out a contract for them to sign or not? I, I would make sure there would be a subcontract agree, agreement. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the key part of that, again, is, is in that document that you both sign, it, you are stipulating and making it very clear that it is a subcontractual agreement um, where yeah. they are responsible for their own tax and national insurance. Yeah. Um, but as part of that, I would also stipulate in there what it is that they're meant to be doing. Um, and once they've completed that, it's it's up to them how they, how they do it and how they perform that task. Yeah. Where do, I mean, you might not know this question. Where would someone find one of those? Do um, you write them yourself or? You can write so... them yourself. Um, you can also find templates online. Um, oh. However what I would always suggest and whether or not that's a contract or a subcontractors agreement or a contract of employment for an employee is approaching a HR specialist who specialize in employment mm-hmm. law to be able to write that contract for you because there yeah. may be terms that, that that you need in there. There could be um, legislation that has changed and, and what you've just gone and Googled online may not cover you it could be outdated it could now be deemed illegal from from an employment side of things so yeah. it's worth spending a little bit of money at the front end speaking to a hs but hr specialist yeah. to be able to get that legal document because ultimately that's what it is yeah. to protect yourself and to protect your employee or your subcontractor so i suppose once you've done it once and you can just reuse it can't you use it, it as a template yeah, absolutely. absolutely okay perfect 
Fabulous. We're rocking for years. We've got one left, Lee. You're nearly there. <laughs> <laughs> nearly there. Oh, just as a just as a quick side, would you take their if you were take on a self-employed person, would you take their UTR number? Would you put that on that um agreement or not? Because the only reason I asked someone someone said to me the other day, Oh, my my current accountant said that I need to take their UTR number. And I didn't think you'd need to, but I just thought I'll ask you as the payroll guy. No, um, no. if you were in the construction uh, constru- construction industry, put my teeth back in, then yes, we would, because there are certain checks that we need to do within the construction yeah. scheme. Um, and, and, and as part of that construction scheme, we actually take their tax off them um, yeah. or we pay the wages over, even though they're self-employed. That is only for the construction industry, so it wouldn't necessarily apply to the dog grooming industry. Yeah. Um, the UTR number as well is a very specific number. Um, it's not something that you would need it for. However, there are certain checks as an employer you should be doing about your employees because you you have um, a duty of care to undertake due diligence. Um, firstly, to protect your customers. Secondly, to protect your other members of staff. Um, and obviously to protect yourself as well. Yeah. You need to make sure that these people have the right to work within the UK, um, yeah. are qualified. So there are there are due diligence and background checks that you should be doing. As far yeah. as employees, you should be taking passports to make sure that they have the right to work in the UK and they don't require a visa. So you mm-hmm. should really be applying that to subcontractors as well as employed people. However, the due diligence doesn't need to be as, as great when it comes to the subcontracting side because ultimately it's the same as you going to buy something from a supplier. This this person yeah. that you are getting to do these services is ultimately not working for you, but you're paying for them to do a service. No, makes complete sense. Thank you for that. I'm just looking at one of the questions. Was what can I ask about subcontracting, please? But I think we've just done that. So fabulous. <laughs> Without even realising. There you go, Sonia. I hope that helps. Uh, right. Last question, I promise. Okay. Maybe not. Maybe I might throw one in. Um, oh, I think that was the same question actually. Uh, what you can't do when take, yeah, we've just basically gone through that. So, there's yeah. two questions in one there. Fabulous. Well, that's all the questions done. If anyone has any questions whilst we're still on, then feel free to put them in uh, whilst I've got Lee here. Um, any sort of employment questions, whack them in. Um, I hope that's helped. You know, it's one of those things that people get stuck on. And I think more so in this industry because there's a lot of self-employed groomers, self-employed dog walkers, boarders, et cetera, et cetera. And I know personally that there's a few that are basically getting screwed over because they're being told they're self-employed, but they're being tracked like an employee. And it's, you know, it's sort of like, you know, if that person got found out by HMRC, they'd be screwed, wouldn't they? Because they'd get, they'd get loads of fines. Yeah. So... Fab, right, I hope that's helped. We've gone through the difference between self-employed and employed, how to set yourself up on payroll. I think the consensus, I would probably say, is any advice, get get someone to do it. It doesn't have to be us, you know, anybody, get them to do it. it it's 20 quid a month, give or take a few quid, depending on where you go, uh, for that peace of mind. Um, is there anything else that you think people should look out for payroll-wise or employment-wise? Any? Any tips? Yeah, certainly along the subcontracting point of view, because I think we've had it before where um, dog groomers like to pay per dog rather Mm. than uh, a set rate for for an hour. And one of the important things to remember is regardless of whether that person is an employee or a subcontractor, 
they must have the ability to meet the national minimum wage. So right. if you pay per dog and you give them an unreasonable amount of time to, to groom a dog and they can't meet the national minimum wage, you're still breaking that, breaking the law with that anyway. So yeah. whether it's employee or subcontractor, there is still regulations that you need to follow with regards to, to pay. Okay, perfect. See, that wasn't too bad, was it? <laughs> it wasn't too bad. <laughs> yeah. We did, we did sneakily have a list of questions before we came on because I did, I literally emailed or texted Lee yesterday. It was about this time yesterday going, please come on tomorrow because I've, I've, it's been cancelled. So I need someone to step in. So thank you for doing that. No um, like I said, this will go out on a podcast at some point in the next couple of months. I've just got to get it all set up. Um, and I will be going through um, all the different uh, subjects that you guys put in the poll that you wanted to talk about. So this was definitely one, payroll and staff. So I hope it's answered some of your questions. If you are watching this on replay or if you're listening to it online uh, and you've got any questions, then please, please, please just pop them in the group or drop me an email um, and we will sort it out for you. Um yeah, it's Friday afternoon, Lee, and I'm conscious that I, I did spring this on you yesterday. Okay. Uh, sorry, we were a bit late. Little Frank, see if I can show you. He's oh. he's fast asleep, bless him. He's not very well, so I, I'm not going to stay on because I need to make sure he's all right. Um, but yes, thank you, guys. I hope you found that useful. If you did, please put, the, put something in the comments. If there's anything we've missed, again, put it in the comments and we'll go over it. Um, and yeah, Lee, just thank you for doing that. So I know I put you on the spot. That's okay. And we're, we're going to do more. So we'll we'll get used to it at some point. <laughs> All right, uh, right no, guys, no. Uh, have a lovely weekend. Um, I'll be putting some bits and bobs in the group over the weekend. Ciao. All right, guys, see you later. Take, Take care, care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed my podcast, don't forget to subscribe for me. And if you want to speak to me, please visit my website at www.petaccountant.co.uk. And if you'd like to join my Facebook group, which is full of like-minded pet professionals, then search Accounting for Pet Professionals in Facebook and I will see you there.